Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the winter season of Beyond the Screenplay. I'm Michael Tucker and I'm joined today by the Beyond the Screenplay team, Trisha Rand. Hello, everyone. Brian Bittner. Hello, hello. And Alex Cayeros. Hi. So with this season, as we are leading up to the Academy Awards, we're going to be exploring the question, what makes a film Oscar worthy? We're going to be discussing some brand new films that are nominated for Best Picture and other things, as well as some classics from the Academy Awards of the past. Uh, and I wanted to start the season by thanking all of you patrons out there who make the show possible. And when we say that, we mean that. Uh, we're certainly not doing this podcast because we're trying to get rich. Uh, we love just <laughs> dissecting movies and interacting with you guys on Patreon and Discord. We all have very busy, full lives. And so anything that helps make this podcast self-sustaining and possible is deeply appreciated. And I also want to remind everyone that we tried to create a lot of value for our patrons on Patreon, which is why this season patrons are going to get three Patreon exclusive episodes. So... These are full episodes, Chinatown, which we released last week as a sort of soft launch to our winter season, uh, a conversation about acting and Fargo. So those are three Patreon exclusives. And of course, when you sign up on Patreon, you're also getting access to all of the previous Patreon exclusive episodes of which there are like 30. I don't know. We should count at some point, but there are a lot. Back, oh, yeah. It's uh, like 60 or something. It might be. Yeah, yeah that's a lot. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, thank you to patrons. Uh, we're going to try to make sure we're always giving you guys something cool and new. And this season uh, will not be an exception. And we're going to be talking about a lot of cool things starting today with our favorite films of the 1970s. So this is another top 10 episode. Uh, in this episode, Trisha, Brian, and Alex will be listing off their 10 favorite films of the 1970s. <laughs> I will be listing off 10 films that I've seen from the 1970s. Uh, and there's an order that we like to do with these. So we're all going to go around and list our number 10 to number four in order. So just mm -hmm. so like you know, 10, 11, 9, 8. I'm doing the numbers wrong. You know what yep. I'm saying? <laughs> Monday, <laughs> Tuesday, Friday, Wednesday. <laughs> 10, 11, 9, 8. Got it. Yeah. 10, 11, 8. Uh, and so then we'll we'll stop, and then everyone's gonna go around and do their number threes, and then number twos, and then number ones, and that is our finale. Uh, so you listeners probably already know this. Michael is still struggling with the format. <laughs> Every time we do this, I have to. This is for me to remind myself. 
who I'm calling on and what I'm calling on them for. Uh, and the order is going to be a little bit different this time. So we're going to start with Trisha, then it's going to go to me, then it's going to go to Brian, and then we're going to end with Alex. No uh, pressure, Alex. You yeah. got this. Got to be great picks. <laughs> okay, so before we get into going through our lists, uh, we're going to talk about a little bit what, what was it like coming up with these lists, as we've liked to do in the past, like talking about Sometimes it's hard to decide between best films or favorite films. And so everybody kind of develops a unique strategy. Trisha, what was your strategy as you chose your top 10 favorite films of the 1970s? Listen, I get the appeal of doing this as like a thought exercise. Uh, and I guess if you're like a, the kind of person who's really into like personality tests uh, or just lists in general, maybe that you would really enjoy doing this. Um, I do not enjoy doing this because I feel a lot of pressure when I have to make my lists. And my initial list had 22 movies on it and uh, I did get it down to 10. Uh, I object. I object to this whole thing. Uh, I'm angry that I'm here. <laughs> and, I mean, the 1970s are just like some of the greatest movies of all time. And some of the, the movies that have like formed like what cinema is, especially in American cinema and what we think of it as. Um, and so really hard for me to pare these down. And so uh, also like, just want to say this really quick about these. If you ask me tomorrow, I would pick different movies. I would probably <laughs> pick different movies. I picked different movies yesterday. I changed them today. Sometimes I make a game time decision as I'm making, as I'm saying my list out loud and say a different movie than I was planning to say. Uh, so this is not a personality test for me uh, because it would be different in a matter of seconds. Uh, but here I am on this podcast where I have to say things into a microphone <laughs> at a certain time. Get recorded and then sent this to the internet yes. right the internet which will haunt me until the day that i die Indeed. thanks are you me. are you okay do we need a break <laughs> <laughs> uh, no i mean again it's fun it's a fun thought exercise and then yet also it's a lot of pressure yes uh all right well brian what about you what's your strategy well i didn't need a strategy this time because this was the easiest list i had to make so far up until a point. So shortly after we did the 1980s episode, couldn't sleep one night. And I was just like, I'm going to start kind of writing down my 1970s movies. Um, and I have a lot of time when I have insomnia. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sure. It's when I look up what the first wives club is like. Um, <laughs> it's an amazing movie. I know. We, we talked about it. Um, and, uh, and I, and I was like, Oh, I have 10 movies on this list. Like, like I have lots of movies I love from this decade, but I was like, I have 10 where I would be really sad if any of these weren't on the list and anything that's not on this list, I'm okay with. That's great. Job done. And then a week ago, I started putting together the list, like the final order and everything. And I went, oh no, I have 11. Um, and then I don't know which one was, <laughs> was admitted initially. So then I had to do some agonizing and some soul searching uh, over the over the past few days and we can spoiler we can pour one out for taxi driver because it just wow. just missed uh, wow. i always thought it was going to be on there but it just missed um and the only other thing i think is going to be interesting is we're going to have once we got into the 90s and 80s we said a lot of it's just about what order we put them in we're going to have a lot of crossover right and i think there's going to be a ton of crossover on this episode except I don't know if my like top 
three, four maybe are going to be on anyone's list. And then most of the rest are going to be on everyone's list. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how, uh, how this goes. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Suspense. Indeed. <laughs> Alex, what about you? Yeah, this is an interesting one because, you know, the 90s especially, but also the 80s, these are movies that were on the VHS tapes in my house growing up that I watched a million times. A lot of the classics from the 70s don't have that, like, extreme valence from childhood where, you know, there's the childhood thing where there's infinite time. So you can just rewatch a movie a thousand times. Um, Star Wars is an exception on this list, obviously. But for me, it was less... Uh, these are the movies I was obsessed with and more the movies I respect and love from this period, but kind of as an adult, with the exception of a couple that I think may not be in other people's lists as well, um, that are childhood movies. Um, so that that was where my list got really kind of weird. It started off as a very standard feeling list, just oh, this is AFI top 10 of the 70s, obvious stuff. And then I was like, but what's what's me? What are my favorite movies of the 70s? And there were a couple that have that childhood thing attached to them. And so they made it on the list. And that is, so mine's going to be, maybe start off a little, little funky and then get more traditional as it goes down. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah. And yeah, just, I, so what was hard for me is that there's a lot of movies that I've seen from the seventies, but haven't seen in a really long time. And I didn't have time to go back and rewatch. And so I'm like, I, think I liked that movie, but I don't remember anything about it. Am I allowed to put that as a favorite movie mm -hmm. of mine? Right. And so right. in general, I opted not to do that and went with movies that I can remember. Uh, but there, <laughs> it's quite possible that in rewatching some of them, the order would move around. So we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll get into it. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. Nice. Okay. So now, uh, beginning with Trisha, we're going to go Number 10 through number four on your list. Trisha, begin your list of your favorite films of the 1970s. I shall. And I just want to tell you, Alex, that uh, I had some of those childhood ones on my list also, and I cut them to try to make myself look cooler. Um, so those, which for me, that, that was Monty Python on the Holy Grail and Fiddler mm. on the Roof, which were two VHSs that we watched constantly. Um, but those are not on my list because prestige. Um, so my number 10, my number 10 is the long goodbye. Uh, my number nine is the conversation. My number eight is Clute, which I've talked about on this show before. Uh, it was really hard to choose a Pacula movie because like LNJ Pacula made so many amazing movies in this decade, but I just, I tried to pick one from each director and like not more than mm. one from each director. So I got my Coppola with the conversation. I got my Pacula with Clute. I thought that was a little bit of a dark horse, but the one that I liked the most. Um, and then of course, let's try down. Uh, six is network. I gotta do it. Mm -hmm. Gotta do it. Uh, five is alien. Um, and four is star Wars. Four. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So the long goodbye is one of those where I'm like, I think I liked it when I saw it, but I don't remember. So maybe if I saw it, that would be on my list. Conversation also is what I, I don't want to uh -huh. do too many spoilers, but there, there are things appearing on your list that's making me have those feelings. I'm like, see, maybe, but maybe that is my favorite. I just don't remember. Yeah. yeah, I just rewatched the conversation like a few months ago, and it's really good. It I haven't rules. seen it in a long time. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and as you might have be able to now um, ascertain, I, there are no godfathers on my list mm-hmm. because I've picked conversation for my Coppola. So bold zero godfathers <laughs> i know i mean listen i do like them but like these are favorites like what do i want to put right. on and watch and it's yeah. almost never the godfather to be honest with respect with with the most deference ever <laughs> to those films unless you're trying to overthrow the kens and then you want them to um <laughs> explain right. the to talk over the whole movie <laughs> uh okay all right well i guess i am up now then um mm-hmm. okay so so number 10 Grease, number wow. nine, Love Annie it. Hall, uh-huh. number eight, Jaws, seven, Rocky, which wouldn't have been on there had we not done our episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, number six, The Godfather, part two. Number five, The Godfather, number four, Chinatown. Nice. Nice. Just just solid. Grease. I yeah. mean, <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't have picked it. for you i'm very surprised so that was one where i was like you know i had the conversation i watched the french connection last night because i was like oh, i haven't seen that maybe that would get on here like i don't know like the sting i remember liking never like so there was all these other movies that i was like i probably should do those but what movie did i watch a million times when i was a little kid it was greece and i can't remember what happens in the plot of this movie and i remember the words of every song for this other movie greece so (laughs) i think i should probably put greece I love it. Good. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Hey, okay, good. Did good. All right. So, Ryan, <laughs> give us your list. Okay. I promise this is not upside down um, because my number 10 is Jaws. My number nine is Alien. Uh, so going on uh-huh. from there, uh-huh. <laughs> number eight is Rocky. Number seven is The Godfather. Number six is Annie Hall. I see you, Michael. Yep. Uh, number five is Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, and number four is A Clockwork Orange. Nice. Nice. Okay. Wow. Very yeah. solid list. Also but strong. Yeah. Yeah. Surprising order. Surprising order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very interesting order. <laughs> I mean, it will we'll get into the top three, but it's it's what you were saying, Michael. It's just like what are the movies that that stuck with you the most? And I find that there were definitely movies that I grew up with. When I say grow up with, I mean saw when I was like 15 or something. And then like they they really like and Clockwork Orange is one of those um, that they just really stuck with me for a while. And it's like, yeah, they're, you know, I like Jaws. I like But like those aren't the movies that I was watching like over and over again at that time. Right. Uh, those formative years. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Yeah. Jaws, even for me, is like, had we not done the video about it a couple years ago, I don't think it would have been on my list because like I don't really like Jaws that much as a kid. But like, I appreciate it more now. So, yeah, mm-hmm. sort of. Yeah. The relationship you have with movies that are this much older is interesting. Alex, what's your <laughs> list? Well, Michael, also number 10, Grease. Hey! Uh, Grease. Oh, that's so cute. Grease buddies. Number nine. Tell me more. <laughs> number nine, Young Frankenstein. Oh, uh-huh. nice. Number eight, Rocky. Uh, also, thanks to the podcast, because I had maybe seen parts of it, but never the whole thing and never with the appreciation I have now from watching it recently. Hey, guys, um, you're welcome. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, Brian. <laughs> number seven, Network. Number six, The Exorcist. Mm. Number five, Alien. And number four, also thanks to the podcast, Chinatown. Nice. Very cool. Got a number four overlap there. Okay. 
Yeah, I could have told you none of us would have the exorcist, probably. Well, <laughs> I might be wrong. Maybe, maybe it is, Brian. Three, two, it's or still one. time. Who knows? Uh, no, but Chinatown, like, really, uh, it was almost top three, uh, just because I loved it so much in this recent viewing, partly because of just how, I don't know, just how tight and intricate and wonderful it is as a screenplay, as a film, as a package. It just feels perfect in that classic movie way. So, yeah, Chinatown, man. Good, good, good movie. Something that was happening for me also is like there were movies that in my head I was like, that's 70s. And then realized it was just after or just before. Yeah. Mm, And so there's a lot of like late 60s and early 80s movies that feel like 70s movies but aren't. Um, It was also interesting. So like I mentioned, I watched The French Connection last night for the first time. Um, And it just... I feel like it's such a great example of like how filmmaking changed in the 70s. And so, you know, French Connection, there's a lot of handheld. They're on the streets of New York. It's like almost like cinema verite. Like it feels real because you're there and you're on the streets and you had cameras and film in the 70s where you could hold it in your hand and walk around and like film stock that you could shoot like at night and all this stuff. And so it's just it was interesting to remind myself of like the technology change that also happened going from the 50s and 60s to the 70s and 80s that allowed this sort of grittier aesthetic to even be possible to capture on film. Yeah, I mean, I'm so I I think I mentioned it a long time ago on the podcast, but I'm so fascinated by this decade in terms of the filmmaking. There were some movies that I saw when I was, like I said, you know, 15 ish, and they didn't really mean anything that they were from the 70s, especially a movie like Clockwork Orange, which feels like it's from no time. Um, But then once I started like watching movies, capital M, you know, films, capital F that I should uh, watch, da da da. Then I started just, there was like this 70s thing that I actually really didn't like. My friend and I were watching, we watched like Dog Day Afternoon and Mm. Straw Dogs coming this like Sam Peckinpah kind of thing. I was just like, nothing is happening. This movie is so long and dry and whatever. and, and I'd have to rewatch some of those movies to see how I feel now. Maybe the conversation felt that way a little bit back then. Um, but I've kind of fallen in love with that aesthetic now where I just really love kind of sinking into, uh, into these movies and just re- appreciating that they are just doing this pure vibes kind of thing. Right. Um, and like taxi driver is a good example that I just rewatched that, um, a, a few days ago. And it's just like, Oh yeah, I forgot how much of this movie is just like nothing happening for quite a while. <laughs> it was just like, Oh yeah. Okay. We got to that part. So now we have to get to this part. It's like, no, there's 45 minutes before we get to like yeah. the, uh, the last 10 minutes, which is like the whole rest of the movie. Um, so yeah, I've, I really, and especially as movies started to get more, quick and edity and everything. Then I started to be like, Oh, wait a minute. What about the seventies? It was something I think, um, some of the producers of the social network were saying was that we're trying to make a movie that felt like it could have come out of the seventies, not aesthetic wise, as much as just people in rooms talking, people kind of, you know, languidly walking across a campus while music plays, right. And you're just kind of living in that space and, and feeling that mood. So I really appreciate this decade and I'm kind of like, have been interested in revisiting some movies that, that didn't click with me back when I first watched them. Yeah. Well, as a reminder, there was kind of like, uh, not the concept yet of like a big four quadrant, like family movie. So a lot of the movies that have endured from this era, 
before Star Wars. So Star Wars is is 77, right? So, but the movies in the early and mid 70s that are enduring from this era are very adult films, right? They're like R-rated films. They're edgy. They're kind of difficult. They're not designed to be watched by like younger audiences. They're supposed to be kind of sophisticated and grim and grimy and all of these things that they are. And they're cool, right? Like, um, I actually looked it up just now. Midnight Cowboy uh, was 1969, but it was an X-rated movie that won Best Picture at the Oscars, right? Mm-hmm. And like, this is that was sort of what brought in this era of like very adult sort of yeah hard filmmaking um, in the 1970s. And part of the reason is because you know we talk about this new Hollywood school of filmmaking, and the director was essentially given a lot of leeway to make whatever he wanted to make. And so what you get is like things that these directors were interested in, you know, um, and they were adults and they wanted to make, you know, sort of complicated dramas most of the time or, or, um, you know, action movies like the French connection, if you can think of it that way, like, and heist movies and things like this. And, and not that some of these movies aren't still really fun. Like Jaws is 1975. It's almost a family movie except when it's completely horrifying but like you know a lot of these films are the ones that we remember because they were being helmed by these directors with these visions and they were not at all worried about having an audience they were just like aimed squarely at adults they didn't care really about like appealing to a wide variety of people if it was sort of like this yeah I mean, there was this a great era for thrillers, right? Like I talked about Pacula and, and some of these, but it's like these were movies for grownups and grownups went to the movies in the 70s and the movies we still watch today are mostly those films. Um, and animation was kind of having a, a, you know, the 30s and 50s were sort of the golden era of, of Disney and animation. Um, and that was kind of not happening you know in the 1970s as much or like those films aren't the ones that we remember until the disney renaissance in the 80s and 90s so this was kind of that like adults making adult movies for for adults at the cinema kind of a thing kramer versus kramer that kind of kramer versus kramer was on my list of 22 movies but yes i mean it's exactly that yeah 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 and like some like formal experimentation also of like you have the conversations on your list it's just like listening to people the movie and like the french connection is just like following people the movie like yep. but just like really doubling down on like this thing how do we portray it cinematically it's happening in a lot of these movies too mm. that that yeah the conversation just like that's a vibes movie like crazy. And I think I don't know that I would have appreciated it the first time I watched it, but watching it this time, I was just like, Oh, like it almost feels like taxi driver in that way where I just kind of want to soak up this weird sort of lonely dreamscape kind of place that it's inhabiting. It's really interesting. Mm. Hackman is is an interesting actor and like, anyway, Mm. yeah. At some point we'll talk about like one of those movies, I'm sure. Um, Okay. Now it's time to go to our number threes. So, Trisha, what is your number three favorite film of the 1970s? I'm so excited to tell you guys all of this. My my number three is Breaking Away, which I don't Breaking think away. any of you have seen. Um, it I've is seen it. 
You have? Oh, great. Awesome. I can't wait to tell you yeah. about it. Uh, for those of you that have no idea what it is, <laughs> this is a sports movie. Um, it's so good. It was nominated for five Oscars. It won an Oscar for Best Screenplay. Um, it is from 19, let me look it up, 79. 79. So this was a little bit later. Uh, yeah, in the 70s. Um, and I really have to give my father credit for this one because actually really my dad credit for all of these because these are like all some of his favorite movies. Um, but it's a movie about like a teenage kid uh, in a rural town who like takes up cycling. And he like it's just this coming of age movie. Uh, it's really lovely. It's really funny. Uh, I just adore it. I've seen it a bunch of times. It's an incredible screenplay. It's one of those that like I could analyze endlessly about why the script is so good. Um, but it's, you know, kind of a small, quiet movie. Um, it, yeah, it stars, uh, Daniel Stern and Jackie Earl Haley and Dennis Christopher and Dennis Quaid, a very young Dennis Quaid in a very small pair of jean shorts. And it's just like everything about this movie is just incredible. It's what I want. It's like this inspirational story. And uh, it's a feel good movie from the 70s. They made a couple. They squeaked them in in 1979, I guess. And right. yeah, it, it rules. So yeah, Breaking Away is my number three. Nice. Okay. Uh, that's definitely a dad movie. My dad is also the reason I know that right? movie and have seen it. Yeah, all of mine are really <laughs> truly dad movies. Like, I mean, dads really had their heyday in the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay. Uh, all right. So my turn. So my number three favorite film of the seventies is Apocalypse Now. Mm. Yeah. I, I just. It's uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's one of those formal like experience movies where I remember watching it for the first time and just having my mind blown of like, what is this? Where am I? Like, I'm just absorbed into this movie. We talked about it a lot in our episode, which is one of my favorite episodes and conversations, just because this movie is so interesting and kind of unlike anything else. And so it was cool when I first saw it. It was cool the last time I saw it. I feel like there's just always going to be something in there that I really like. Sometimes even I quote lines from that movie to myself. You know, there's the... the Because <laughs> I'm going crazy, Which apparently. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, the... I love the smell of napalm in the morning, obviously, is the famous line. But the line right after that, where he's just like, you know, one of these days, this war is going to end. And, like, the way he says it, there's just mm -hmm. something in it of, like... He's like sad, but like there's just so much in that. And it's just like nothing else captures whatever that feeling is. Like, when do you say that? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to talk about that right now. But when I need to say it, it comes in. It's very handy. It captures yep. it. Yeah. Yeah. Just Coppola. I mean, we're not going to be the first person to mention this, but like. 72, The Godfather, 74, The Conversation and The Godfather Part 2, 79, Apocalypse Now. Like, what a what a run. What a run. Pretty good. Pretty good. And then one from the heart. <laughs> um, okay. Brian, what is your number three? My number three is The Exorcist. Uh -huh. nice. yeah. The minute I said it, I was like, nope, nope. Mm. I'm very wrong about that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what are you talking about, Trisha? <laughs> the Exorcist, gotcha. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I really do love this movie. I think it's, I think there are movies that I, 
you know, th- were like, was like excited by when I was younger. And then as I've gotten older, I'm like, ah, eh, it kind of wore off. But every time I watch this movie, I'm just like, I really love the direct, the, like the directing and the mood and that it sets. Um, and then it's doing really interesting thematic stuff. And, um, it, I, I, you know, I like being scared by, by horror movies. I like being put in that place. It's like, if I watch a rom-com, it's to feel those emotions. If I watch a horror movie, it's to feel those emotions. And I feel like I'm consistently disappointed by horror movies when they cease to to give me anything. It doesn't even have to be like scared as much as just like unease or chill or whatever. And this is one of the few movies that I can like just think of certain parts of it and it gives me chills. And when I watch it, it just puts me in this like very, very uneasy state that I, that I enjoy being in because I know I can, (laughs) can leave at the end. Yeah, man. Ari Aster in an uh, interview at some point talked about, I think movies that inspired him (laughs) and, I don't know if you mentioned The Exorcist, but he said movies that seem like they are evil, like like yeah. there's something evil about them in their DNA. Like it's like a it's an artifact that is like evil at its core. And I think The Exorcist feels like one of those movies. I think Ari Aster's movies also feel that way. Yeah. Um, he, he has successfully replicated the feeling of evil at the core of his films. Um, but yeah, I remember watching The Exorcist for the first time. Well, the first time I watched it, I walked out of the theater because I was in seventh grade with my dad and it was the re-release. <laughs> oh and I was like, I can't handle this. And we left. But the when I actually got through the whole movie, there was that feeling of, yeah, this is evoking emotions in me unlike anything else. Like I am so deeply unnerved and disturbed and chilled like you were saying brian and that's just always really impressive when a film can like give you the full body experience of of really deep weird emotions interesting because that's like why i avoided that movie for the majority of my life was like you know my mom basically saying that of like that movie is like there's evil inside of it like stay away Mm. and it was like freaked me out enough that i'm like oh yeah that's fine if something's evil i will avoid it obviously uh Yeah. But then you watched it. <laughs> but then I watched it. Yeah. Probably too late. Was it in evil? Life. I kind of giggled the whole time. I feel like mm. I had built it up so much in my head. Yeah. And I watched it like so late in life that it it would have been impossible to like actually like meet or surpass my expectations. So. You had to be an innocent twelve year old in yeah. the theater. Yeah. Well, Something. interesting. I've had it on my never watch list for <laughs> quite a while. So I, I don't know like moving it, but <laughs> yeah. I, like, it just, that's, that's where it sits. And maybe, you know, I would think it's funny, actually. I don't think so. I think it's going to stay on my never watch list. Probably not. Yeah. yeah, I think that's probably a good call. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, what's your number three? My number three is Star Wars, A New Hope. Nice. Um, yeah. And yeah, what is there to say about this movie? <laughs> I just, you know, it probably changed my life and everybody else's lives. It changed cinema. It, it, I mean, it's hard because I do feel like for me, Star Wars has become tainted. It's that thing where too much of a good thing becomes a bad thing. And it's like the Star Wars brand is so many things now and not what it once was. Um, so in some ways it, it maybe has fallen on the list because of just the time and what has passed, you know, in the last couple of decades around Star Wars. Um, but, you know, just just thinking about the influence it has had on everything and on, on myself and the kinds of 
genres I'm interested in, the kinds of movies or games or anything that I want to be a, a part of. It's Star Wars is at least 50% of that equation. Star Trek, maybe another good chunk of it. Alien movies as well. But Star Wars is the majority, probably. Yeah, I had to come to terms with the fact that I don't love the first movie as much as I do the the other two. Um, and there was there was definitely because I think I think it's like a really solid, you know, and I'm sure someone here might, you know, tell us why it's great soon. Um, but uh, <laughs> but no, I think it's a really solid like I mean, really, it's an incredible start to this franchise right and and i absolutely appreciate it for that but in terms of my own what i want for a movie it's just like there's like a simplicity to it which i think works really well for it but it's just not my thing that i want which is like the weirdness of the other two movies um so there was a quick moment where i was like is it even on my top 10 and then i was like no of course it is and it's like reasonably high it's just not like top three level for me so that was an interesting conversation to have with myself Right. And that's kind of the weird place I'm in, too, where do I want to go watch Star Wars A New Hope at all anymore? I don't think Mm. I need to or do, uh, but just the impact on my life, you know, counterbalances that and makes it, you know, the number three spot. Right. We'll have a screening party. We'll get two TVs on one TV. You guys can watch The Exorcist, and Trish and I will watch Star Wars on the other TV. (laughs) Perfect. This is like a great party. (laughs) Very strange party. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it'll be a lot of fun. Um, okay, all right. Well, we have our number threes in. Are we ready to move to number two? Let's Trisha. I think we can. What is your number two favorite film of the 1970s? This one goes directly out to my father. It is The Sting mm, from 1974. Nice. Uh, in fact, 1974's Best Picture uh, and was nominated for 10 Oscars. It won seven, including Best Picture that year. Um, in my father's hometown, when he was uh, a younger person and going to see that movie, it ran in his hometown theater for one whole year. Um, it was just consistently selling to crowds. It is an amazing movie. Um, my love of heist movies uh, is directly born out of the sting, and I just really love it. It's just so fun. It's so entertaining. It's so watchable. Like, Robert Redford and Paul Newman are gorgeous and amazing. And like, I just, it's so good. Like, I don't know everything about it. The twists and turns, it's so twisty. Like, and you're just with the characters uh, the whole time. I would love to do a podcast about it one day. Um, I've seen it a number of times. And every time I watch it, the ragtime soundtrack becomes very tiring at a certain point. But other than that, I have zero complaints about the sting. It rules. There are definitely some films from the 70s or 80s around this era where it's just like this movie is amazing. But this music choice very much of this moment or this weird taste of the time is not aging well. (laughs) I think it can be polarizing too. like my friend hates the Blade Runner score and I think it's like the best thing ever you know and it's like, right but but yeah that, like the, but the Terminator the, the original Terminator I think the score really takes my attention away from the movie when I watch it now and other people are like you're crazy it's amazing so it's just it, it, it really depends on it's like a very much litmus test I think for certain people yeah I think the way score was used in 70s movies is right. like very yeah. different than in modern day and so right. yeah it creates that kind of thing it's funny you mentioned Blade Runner Brian because that 
Michael said, you know, some of these movies feel like they should be from the 70s and Blade Runner is one of them, I think, because of the score. Yeah, yeah. Also, the vibes and just the wanderiness of it. But the score feels very 70s. Yeah. Yeah. Staying. Yeah. Was on my list of I think this is actually probably one of my favorite movies, but I couldn't tell you what happens in it. So I probably shouldn't put it on the list. But you should rewatch it. I would though. love to because I remember really liking it. So. I do want to watch it again. We should do an episode about that. Yeah. I'm on board. Then do it. Yeah. <clears throat> yes, please. Um, okay. So uh, my number two favorite movie of the 70s is Alien. Probably surprising no one. It's surprising uh, no one. Yeah. Is that a bingo? Uh, <clears throat> is that our first bingo? Should be. Yeah. Is it? We, we've all said Alien. Yeah. Should be? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Nice. All right. Good. Really? That's our first. That's, that's our first bingo? I think so. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Again, we've talked about Alien a lot. Uh, it's a masterpiece. I love it. It's like exactly the right blend of like filminess and like horror freakiness. It like scared the hell out of me as a kid, but also like made me want to make movies. And how did you do this? This is amazing. And like sci-fi and all these things. Uh, so yeah, in my brain, it's like, essentially a perfect movie and i love it and i would probably watch it anytime so alien we'll put yeah. that on our third tv at our party there we go and then all four of us can just sort of universal like, donor yeah. <laughs> i feel like alien is kind of the the midsection between star wars and the exorcist yeah there you oh, go totally. yeah hey. <laughs> spectrum the middle tv yeah yeah that's great uh all right brian what's your number two my number two is Being There. I knew the it. The Hal Ashby movie, yeah, from 1979. Uh, it was my number one for a while. Um, and and also one that I saw later. So it sort of had more work to do. It had more, <laughs> had to do more work to get to the top over movies that I watched a bunch when I was 16 or 17. Um, and uh, yeah, our... Um, our buddy Sean Eastridge over in the Missing Frames podcast. You can hear hear me show him that movie for the first time uh, over there and hear my extended thoughts. But it's really well made. It's the the themes, just like really, really strong themes that never fail to, to just strike me and make me kind of think about what like what the movie is doing. Peter Sellers and Shirley MacLaine are just outstanding. Mm-hmm. They're just so good. Um, and... Uh, there's a plot contrivance that is at the center of this movie that I think is actually really cleverly done. And it's interesting to see how they sort of make you buy that all these things that the movie is is sort of selling are actually happening. Um, and uh, and yeah, there's just something about Hal Ashby's direction. I, I realized uh, this and Harold Maud of just like he does this so, so beautiful, kind of gritty, kind of sweet like 60s song playing folk song kind of playing thing that just that just really strikes me and i realized that john cameron mitchell said that that's what he was doing when he did hedwig when he directed hedwig he said i want to direct it like a hal ashby movie and i feel like that actually comes through so hard and i actually really love the holdovers from this year which feels like so directly alexander payne trying to do the exact same thing and it just like even when someone is trying to do it it still really works for me so yeah being there number two 
I had Harold and Maude on my list of 22 mm. and I was thinking about it. And then I was like, hell, Ashby will get some love. He will get some love. <laughs> yep. I'm not worried about it. Brian's here. We're going to have me in there. It's going to be okay. I do really love Harold and Maude though. Yeah. Like, yeah. So good. Yeah. Glad you shouted out Missing Frames also, because that's what made me watch The Exorcist for the first mm -hmm. time. So if you want to hear my live reaction to like <laughs> or hot take reaction to The Exorcist, you can check out that episode of Missing Frames. Giggling, apparently. <laughs> a little bit of giggling. Uh, I watched it with our friend Wyatt also. I feel like that was maybe added to oh, the giggling. That's, not, uh, that's guaranteed that giggles. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, we gave it a fair shot. We were both. Anyway. Uh, okay. Alex. Bring us at number two. What's your favorite number two? My number two is Apocalypse Now. Hey, uh, mm -hmm. for a lot of the same reasons you mentioned, Michael. Just it's it's and kind of like what I was saying about The Exorcist as well. It's just one of those full body experience movies where I walk out of watching that movie and I feel like I'm on drugs and I'm kind of tripping and reality seems different for a little bit. And I just I'm always really impressed when I can walk out of just like viewing and hearing something and literally my state of consciousness is temporarily altered and kind of like screwed up for a bit and apocalypse now does that uh and it's just such an amazing strange like all-consuming journey to to go on that ride in that movie and yeah it just it's one of a kind and so special and i i always I, I am always down to watch it. Basically, it's it's a movie that's both difficult, but also kind of not difficult because there's something pleasurable about the filmmaking and how weird and crazy it is. And the audiovisual experience is it's not doing the minimalist gritty thing. You know, there, there's there's like war movies or Academy movies that are look how serious we are. We're going to be very spare and minimal and like you will suffer with the characters in this minimal, like bare bones way. Apocalypse now is like horrific suffering and horrific, like strange things happening, but in this like lush, gorgeous way. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I, I appreciate that. Um, and it makes it rewatchable for me and always an experience worth going on. Yeah. It's like, yeah, essentially exactly what you said is what's, like cinema is insane, basically. You can go in and we're going to flash right. images at you 24 times a second for like two hours and we're going to play some sound at you and you will like glean meaning from that. Like that is mm. pretty cool. And I feel like that movie is like such a distillment of that process in a way that like makes the kind of magic of that more accessible and because it is so weird and such a trip. And as we talked about in the podcast, like it holds up so hard. Like it's just, it still looks incredible mm -hmm. to the point where you're just like, you know, and I think it's that practical versus CG thing, right? It's like, we've right. seen things 6,000 times bigger than that movie in theaters, but we haven't seen anything that feels as big as that. Movie, or, or we haven't seen much that feels as big as that movie. I think for me, it's like, how did they do this? This seems yeah. impossible. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, it is now time for our number ones. Are we ready for this? Does everybody have their yes. seatbelts on? I, Do they have seatbelts? I don't know what Alex is. is. What? what? Brian knows what mine and, and Michael's are. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't know Alex's. Everyone does. But yeah. yeah. You guys know what mine is? No. I don't think so. No. Okay. Yeah. All right. We don't have the brain. We don't have the like fact 
thing in my at least i don't have the like fact tracking in my brain that you do brian so oh yeah my brain is just a steel trap for the most useless information <laughs> and i could not, <laughs> could not tell brian's you how it is a spreadsheet of truth <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like taxes how cars work i don't know <laughs> yeah that's not that important in the grand scheme yeah of this is uh so what's my number one brian uh, i'm gonna Guess I'm gonna go on a limb and say it's Jaws. It's definitely Jaws. Hey. Yeah, it's Jaws. Of course it is. Uh, yeah, this movie super influential on me. I uh, love every frame of it. It's amazing. Um, I'm the one who insisted we do a video on it on the channel, uh, and I could. I think it's endlessly studyable, and also just I don't know everything about it. Like it's scary but thrilling but heroic and adventurous it yeah, becomes like this seafaring adventure in the middle um the character a triangle of those the three men on the boat who are hunting the shark amazing it's amazing it's just an amazing movie and uh i could watch it at any point and like i i remember where i was when i watched that mm. shark explode for the first time <laughs> just like oh yes shark shark i'm so happy yeah. uh, well i also remember where i was when i saw the death star explode for the first time and just yeah. the, the emotional release of like seeing the big bad thing blow the hell right. up is just so intense like cinema spielberg and lucas they really cracked that code in the 70s yeah. just blow it up yeah. at the end yeah. it's amazing when luke closes his eyes and says smile you son of a bitch <laughs> <And the duster. laughs> exactly what i'm saying uh yes anyway it's um it's amazing i love this movie yep but it wasn't even close my top three yeah. were not even like hard to to pick so yeah I realize we have this you and i have this inverse spielberg thing where i realized that Jurassic Park just missed my top 10 of the 90s. Um, Last Appalling. Crusade. I know. I know. Last Crusade just snuck in on my on my 80s and Jaws just snuck in on my 70s. And for you, these are like you're literally literally the number one. Yeah, yeah. The number one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. They don't like the blowing up thing. We really don't blow things up the way they, they we used really to. Don't. Well, they're blowing yeah. up the whole time and the blowing <laughs> yeah, up becomes meaningless. It's right. just right. it's blow up every scene. Yeah. And, well, I'll talk about this in a second. Brian, what's my number one? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it is the um, the laser sword movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yes, the war of yeah. the war of the stars. So yeah, so obviously Star Wars <laughs> is my favorite film of the seventies. Probably still my favorite film of all time. Lots of things to talk about, but I want to continue about on this blowing up track because so the Death Star, like yeah. we're saying, is this amazing catharsis of just like and then boom it's like gone and i feel like one of my problems with the prequels and then kind of every movie since is i feel like like lucas even like wanted the explosions to feel more realistic so like when the pod racers like crash you know the engine falls and then it tumbles on the ground and then pieces come off and it's like oh yeah i guess that's how things like actually happen but in star wars you couldn't do that you filmed a fireball and you put it over the model going boom and it was great. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Bring back simple fireball explosions. Simple yes. Explosions. Yeah. Like this but like even Rogue One, like Rogue One did so many throwbacks to like the original Star Wars, but the booms still weren't. Like there's too much too much debris. It's too real. Clean. It's too, it's too much yeah. realism in the booms. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and with Jaws and with Star Wars, it's like 
there's the one last shot, right? And it's like, you have to get the one last shot or it's like, absolutely, it's all or nothing on the last shot that you have. And then when you get the all, right, like the tension is high. It like, it it has funneled all of the tension down to this like point to the size of a womp rat or in, you know, the size of like an air tank or whatever. And it's just like, it has funneled everything down to this and it's like this or nothing and complete failure. And so the explosion should be like this huge emotional release and shouldn't challenge your brain, right? It just should be this like, and then it was over, right? And like this hail of of shark blood and parts just rained on the sea later. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and then it's just like, it should be that. And then you can just move on. And then both of those movies... There's a little bit more in Star Wars with like the ceremony and everything, but they just like get out yeah. quick after that. Like right. this is it, the movie is over, we've moved on. Like we're gonna paddle back to shore, uh, we're gonna hand out some medals, and that's gonna be the end. And I love it. That's I love it. It's just so archetypal, simple like storytelling. Be really well, interesting to overlay like that the last sequences of Jaws and Star oh, Wars yeah. to see just like the ebb and flow, how like in sync they are. I'd be really curious to see how that that lines up. Well, I think thinking to Star Wars, you know, I I was mentioning a moment ago, like, oh, yeah, I don't got to watch it again. But honestly, every time I watch (laughs) that finale, it does get me because like all the layers are working in that moment. You've got the use the force, Luke. You've got the swell of the you know force theme and Luke's theme. It, It just there's so much magic happening in that like tightening, 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 tightening. And then the release, as you said, Tricia, it's just, it's, it's just masterful. The, the amount of emotional layers, tension layers, and then all at once catharsis is just so John good. John Williams is and, there yep. just playing the hell out of whatever he's playing. Yeah. We love it. So good. That's, that's the thing. When I think about star Wars, I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't know if I'm like excited to see like that scene or that's it, but it's just like Luke standing, looking at the two sunsets with John mm-hmm. Williams score. I'm just like, yes, I want to watch. <laughs> I want to watch that scene for yeah. sure. It's pure cinema. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, I just had a, a thought, Alex, what is your favorite film of all time? of all time yeah is it jurassic Uh, park is it children of men i think children of men is is still the one of just like the movie that i can't find any flaw with whatsoever which means we all have favorite movies from different decades Oh, oh, like oh, oh, all timers, you mean? Yes, mm-hmm. I think Star Wars. If you had picked Jurassic Park, it would be the same as mine. So right, mm-hmm. exactly yeah. right. So the Labyrinth movie. from the '80s for me, Star Wars from the '70s, uh, and Jurassic Park for Trisha, and Children of Men for the odds. I don't know what that means, but it's interesting. Good spread. Do we? Or is it? Tell us. <laughs> 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 Trivia. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't done our what's our favorite films of all time list. I guess there's no. Still, oh, no. I guess there's still time. <laughs> no. That's, You're gonna make me cry. That's impossible. I mean, that's it's possible, but <laughs> that's impossible. I mean, <laughs> is that is that what's next that for might, the top ten? I mean, I, I mean, I think I feel like we need to at least do a pre 1970s episode. Yeah. Okay, yeah, like we could yeah, do everything pre 1970s. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, okay. Okay. But, guys, we have we're not starting. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. right. uh, we're still recording. <laughs> <Hello. Star> <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Star Wars for Michael Brian. What is your favorite film of the 1970s? So anytime you hear me talking about the movies that I watched all 
throughout my teen years and everything, every all of them except for one will have been talked about on these episodes. So Seven, Labyrinth, Natural Born Killers, Clockwork Orange, Exorcist, and the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, is my number one. Yeah, I just nice. watched it over and over again. I mean, it was it was one of those movies I would sometimes just like rewind the tape and just start it again. Like it's just <laughs> like I'm gonna put it on again. Um, and it's so entertaining. Tim Curry is amazing. The music is awesome. Everyone in it is just it's so fun. Um, and surprisingly, a movie with a bit of thematic conversation going on. Uh, it's not super complex, but it's there. Um, and, you know, I mentioned this in the seven podcast, but I, I really am appreciating that that every all those movies I just listed, they were sort of training me to spot theme in movies, I think. Like, I, I didn't call it theme at the time. It was more just like, what is this movie trying to say? You know, we grew up reading the Aesop's fables where then at the bottom it would just be like moral and then it would say like, yeah. like a one sentence yeah. thing. And I think that like that's what I was looking for in movies. And all of these movies are so different movies from different decades, different genres. They all had something that stuck with me and made me just made me think like what the movie was trying to say. Um, so there was just something and some of them were screaming it loudly. Some of them were complex where there was kind of like, what does this movie mean? I don't know. I want to think about it for a while. Right. But they all kind of just like challenged me to dig a little deeper and, and think about that. And, and also just love them as a piece of entertainment that I could, that I could watch over and over again. Um, so the the strange person that I am is thanks to thanks to all of these movies that I watched a bunch around this age and Rocky Horror was maybe the one up there with Labyrinth the one I watched the most. Did you go to like Rocky Horror? I've never gone. I've never gone to a screening. <gasps> I'm, I'm a virgin. Yep. After all that, yeah, that's so weird. Whoa, that's the weirdest thing I've ever. Is. <laughs> <laughs> That's impossible. <laughs> I did dress up as Frankenfurter for Halloween twice. And surprisingly enough, there are zero pictures of this to, oh. as evidence. So you have a costume. You've never been to a I screen. don't have it anymore. This was a long, long time ago. But no, I have not. I have not been to a screening. Well, hmm. I, I want this for you Somebody now. Somebody invite Brian <laughs> to a Podcast field trip. <laughs> Good grief. Yeah, it's so I don't think I've ever seen the movie like start to finish. It's one of those mm -hmm. things though that just like is everywhere. And I like I remember as a as a kid, teenager, like going through the world, you just see references to it and other things, or you hear people talking about like you know these shows, or like your classmates in the drama room walk by and they're dressed all weird, and you're like, where are they going? And they're like Rocky Horror Picture, like what? Like what? Uh, <laughs> And so it's it's been really interesting kind of like through osmosis absorbing the movie and the story and all of it. And like part of me has avoided watching the actual thing just because it's really fun only knowing about it like through other people and through <laughs> culture. Um, yeah. So I don't know if I'm going to watch it or not. But that's it's interesting. Field trip. Maybe field yeah. trip. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like maybe I've seen it. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. <laughs> All right. Alex, we're all shivering with anticipation. Nope. <laughs> Brian. <Patient. laughs> uh, my number one is The Godfather. Oh, yeah. So and ending on a traditional note here. Um, yeah. And and I think, you know, there's there's head and heart choices on this list. And this one's a bit more head. Uh, but I when I just think back on films, when I saw them in the proper setting and for me, 
it was seeing the Godfather at the Cinerama Dome in Hollywood. Mm. Um, but then they did a 4K restoration re-release thing. And I just was like, oh, I get it. This movie is immaculate in its, you know, just every aspect of the filmmaking here is elegant and like pure and just really I it, there's something just like the texture of the film. Everything about it just feels like, I don't know, just good. <laughs> and so mm. so I think when I decide about what movie just like holistically is just very good from this era and like kind of unimpeachably good, the Godfather, I couldn't can't deny it. And and I do I do love watching it in the right context, you know, because I think right so often now we're living these like distracted lives with our phones like half out as we're watching TV, yada, yada. This is not the kind of movie you want to watch in that headspace. I but it's the kind of movie that when I'm in a dark, you know, can't do anything else, theatrical space, it is a really enjoyable experience. Um, so, yeah, The Godfather made it to my number one, even though it's not a movie that I watch over and over again or I'm obsessed with. It just feels it's just that good. It deserves to be there. Yeah, I, I like the head and the heart thing. I was I was thinking about sort of like what's my if there's like a scale where, you know, how much you appreciate a movie is up here, but then down here is how much you actually like watching it. And then some movies are the other way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, like Chinatown, for instance, we talked about, it's a movie that like, I appreciate, I like it, but I appreciate it more. Um, and then, you know, Rocky Horror Picture Show is a, is a movie that I like more than I appreciate as a film, right? I'm just like, no, no, I just like it. It's just fun. And I feel like Godfather, and I, honestly, Godfather Part 2, I feel a little that way, where I'm where, I, where I'm just sort of like, I appreciate it more than I actually enjoy the, the process of watching, it, even though I do really like it. Um, but yeah, Godfather feels like one of those movies that I should be like, I appreciate it, but I don't really love watching it, but I just really love watching right. it. Like it just, it right. kind of works both ways, which is really impressive. Yeah. Part two for sure doesn't really work for me in a lot of ways, which I feel mm. guilty about because it, right. it's often held up as like the better one. Even, um, I honestly never really enjoy watching it start to finish. Uh, I don't know what it is, but the first one, not the case. The first one, I am like you, Brian, I'm both appreciating it and I'm not, shifting in my seat kind of wondering what the hell i'm doing here i am like enjoying it scene by scene moment to moment one thing i would like to hear from listeners potentially on social media or on the discord is um for those that are younger like and maybe didn't get introduced to some of these movies when they were young which in fairness you know we came to a lot of these movies as adults also but i do wonder how like i'm a younger like a Gen Z would have the, I don't know what they would think of some of the pacing and like style of seventies movies. Um, because as I mentioned, sometimes they are kind of difficult, right? Like there is a complexity to them and the way that they look and the way that they're paced. And we talked about the score and all these things. They're so different from like modern filmmaking that I do wonder how like young viewers think of them. Um, like, are they just the way that we think of movies from the, I don't know, forties and fifties or something like, I don't know. I'm very curious to hear from people about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and again, like I said, watching like French connection, like 
like the language of cinema was different. Like we like we speak mm. a different like dialect of like filmmaking now. And I I watched that, you know, as that famous car chase, and then I watched the Batman car chase because I listened to <laughs> interesting. Because <laughs> I listened to an interview sure. with the the cinematographer, and they talked about the French Connection being a big like inspiration for them. And so watching those two things back back was interesting, and it was yeah intriguing to see how those influences had been adapted but it still just felt different like there's something about yeah. the way movies we expect them to be paced and the music and like all these things that just it's just like different and i don't know that we can ever like capture like that moment in time and that all of those things uh ever again and it, i feel like the 70s in particular is like distinct in that way which is yeah just interesting and special. Yeah, I wonder if there was just like, like, you know how um, film developing kind of moves in like trends and, and certain other kinds of like color grading moves in trends and like aspect ratio, like all these kind of things become like trendy. And so everyone wants their movie to kind of look like this one movie. And then mm. they kind of all graded all that way. Or like, were all these guys shooting on the same film stock? Like, or they had, you know, they all went to the same schools because they literally did. Or like, you know, I wonder what it was about why they all kind of have the same vibey vibe. Um, and, and I don't know if, yeah, if, if that's, if you shot on film today, like if you got the film stock and somebody experienced in developing it the same way and, you know, you shot natural light or like in studios with the kind of like lighting that they did and these kinds of things, could you make a movie that was like indistinguishable from a 70s movie or would it inevitably look modern? Is there something in the, the mm -hmm. water, air, DNA mm -hmm. um, now that would change it irreparably? I wonder. I mean, because there's just so many things that, like, the confluence of technology, like, again, watching 70s movies, remembering, oh, cutting literally meant cutting. Like, yeah, they're have cut. every time you're cutting, someone had to physically cut the film and, like, tape it together. Like, it wasn't easy to make a movie back then. And so I feel like there is just this so many, like, ineffable things, technology and else, and just the cultural moment that, like, all... Yeah, I, I don't think you'd make a 70s movie outside of the 70s, but... The challenge is issued. issued. You heard it <laughs> yes. here. I mean, I mean, I will say the holdovers like really surprised me in, in what it did in that in that regard. The trailer Based was the trailer, broadcasting that hard. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. But it, I mean, it does the like they're walking through the snow and then it's doing that sort of slow zoom uh, um, kind of thing mm -hmm. that, that they were doing. And like, again, the Hal Ashby thing. And then they're playing some folk song over it. And I was like, wow, I was really impressed by how well you're nailing this. Um, and, you know, Spielberg's West Side Story, I think there was a similar thing, not 70s, sure. but 60s, where it was just like the, again, the color grading. There's something about it that just made me go, if you put a frame of this movie or, or you know, 30 seconds of this movie in front of me and said, what decade is this from? I don't know if I would, I would think it was like a highly remastered thing from the 60s, Mike, but I don't know right. that I could tell you um, that it was definitely not. Yeah, fascinating. The, the color grading of this era is going to be like very low contrast, very gray, washed out, beautifully crisp images. Well, oh, yeah. so it's yeah. just now 2024. <laughs> I'm really hoping that we get away from like the teens look 
and that the 20s become something different. Right. Because I'm tired. Yeah. I'm tired of the teens and how it looked. Yeah. It's the era where our screens can display the most contrast ever and our movies have the least contrast ever. And it's just so Maybe puzzling. partially because we have dynamic range, we want to get into the like minutia of dynamic range instead of just like the ends, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the, the two biggest movies of the year were Barbie and Oppenheimer, so we can have a That's contrast true. conversation. Something's, Something's changing, it. maybe. Yeah, things yeah. Are we're gonna. Yeah. Yes. Yes, we are. Uh, so, again, to run through all of the movies that we're going to be talking about this season, our best picture winter season, Chinatown, available right now over on the Beyond the Screenplay Patreon. We've just talked about our favorite films of the 1970s. Poor Things is next week, which I'm so excited to talk about. Anatomy <laughs> of a Fall, Patreon exclusive, a conversation about acting. Past Lives, Dune Part 2, Fargo, and Oppenheimer are all coming down the pipe. It's going to be a really interesting season. I'm Hell yeah. very much looking forward to it. So we want to say a big thank you, as always, to the patrons that make this show possible. If you want to support the podcast and get access to some of these patron exclusives, head over to the Beyond Screen Play Patreon. The link is in the show notes. Thank you to our producer, Vince Major. Thank you to our editors, Donovan Bullen, Caleb Berg, Graham Harther, and Eric Schneider. I'm Michael Tucker, and I've been joined today by Trisha Rand, Brian Bittner, and Alex Cayeros. All of our Twitter handles are in the show notes. Send us a tweet and say hi, and we will see you in the next episode for our discussion of poor things. Bye, everybody. Patient. Bye.